Hey guys, it's Mark here. Thanks so much for listening to Mark Hunt Rap. This is the second episode of season two. If you're a new listener, here's a quick recap. Season one was about my attempt to write my first rap mixtape. Along the way, I got unique contributions from some of my favorite musical artists worldwide. We met up, spent some time together, and they shared their perspectives on writing rap and staying creative. The whole series became this deep dive into the passion and craft that goes into writing rap lyrics. I actually took the material that I wrote for series one in the format of a live show up to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019. We had over half a million downloads and a full house pretty much every single night. Just thinking about that many people packed into a space like that, jostled shoulder to shoulder. Oh man, it's it's hard to believe right now. I wish I was currently touring that show. That was the original plan anyway, but that was before the pandemic. Today, it's the 9th of May, 2020. We're nearly eight weeks into a nationwide lockdown. It's supposed to be ending soon, but I've got no idea how long it'll be going on for. All of my touring plans are cancelled. Which leads me to season two. I've realised that the story of this new season, whether I like it or not, is going to have to be this. It has to be about COVID and the pandemic. It has to be about life as we know it falling apart and the impact that's having on me and other artists, particularly the impact on the rap community. That may sound bleak, and to be honest with you, things do feel a little bleak right now, but I'm hoping this story will also be about surviving, hustling, and not giving up, about using rap and the lessons we can learn from rap to make something of our situation, even if things seem hopeless. If you're a new listener, you don't have to necessarily listen back to all of season one, but I do recommend skipping back an episode to season two, episode one. Things will make a little more sense if you go from there. And also, thanks so much for listening. This might sound like an obvious thing to say, but it's pretty lonely having to stay in isolation like this. So it means a lot to know someone is out there listening in, even though you'll be listening in six months, two years, or even further down the line. So, yeah, for this new series, I'm not going to be trying to release a new mixtape. I mean, maybe I, I will still finish one. Who knows? I'm still hopefully going to keep writing, but there is another goal for this podcast now. Something that's become increasingly important to me over the last few years, and something I should probably explain. I used to be a school teacher, an English teacher. I've also worked in schools as an outsider, coming in to teach writing workshops with pupils. In my time, I've met quite a few teachers who think that rap is dumb, basic, lesser than other forms of writing. I've been told that rap has no place in English classrooms, that it's low-hanging fruit, 
fact that rap is mindless, meaningless, not worthy of study, that rap, all rap, is comparatively, objectively simple and easy to write. And I wish that last bit was the case, but it's not been easy to write, for me at least. I found writing rap hard. And I'm hoping that in sharing my own attempts at rapping on this podcast, the good bits, the bad bits, and the really pretty ugly bits too, that I can show those teachers just how difficult it is. And also how rewarding it is too. Right now, studying rap, it's kind of holding me together during the most difficult time of my life. I'm also hoping that by the end of this series, you'll have heard me improve my rapping at least a little bit, but, well, the jury's still out on that one. <laughs> Last time on Mark Can't Rap. And it was then that a lot of them started asking me to rap. Well, now I'm going raw like, shit, is is this tune going to do well on on the radio? As soon as it's not fun being a rapper, then I'm out. I've been checking out Lupe Fiasco's stuff. When it comes to concept-driven rap, he's my number one inspiration. So... As I said, the date that I'm recording here is the 9th of May, 2020. We've been in lockdown here in the UK for eight weeks and counting. I, I know that I'm lucky. I've got my wife, Lucy, and our dog, Boo, for company, which is amazing. I'm so grateful that I've got them both. But otherwise, I mean, things aren't great. Work-wise, my calendar has been completely wiped for the next six months, at least. I no longer see friends or family or anyone really anymore, not unless it's through a screen of some kind. I mostly live in our living room now. I eat in here, work in here, I write, record and edit in here. I currently broadcast free English lessons to families in here too, Every evening, Lucy and I try to relax in here. We try to ignore what's going on. We play cards, computer games, watch TV, and we wait, too, for some kind of sign that there'll be a way out of this. Everyone is in the same lifeless boat, I think. Each morning, we wake up to news of deaths all around the world. They're presented to us as numbers or lines or curves on a graph. But we all know that they're deaths. Right now, as I type this, hope is in short supply. There's just not much room for it in our daily routines. We have no idea, really, what's going on. That's why like so many others in the UK, Lucy and I tune in almost religiously 
to press conferences and televised interviews with Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister. We'd never normally adjust our routines for these kind of press conferences. But right now, and, and I can't believe I'm saying this, right now, Boris Johnson is perhaps the closest thing to hope that many of us have. Now, there's a few things about Boris Johnson that I feel uncomfortable with. One is his lack of honesty. He's lied to the Queen, to previous employers, to partners when he's had affairs. He's lied to a lot of people that I imagine he cares about way more than he cares about me. Even before the pandemic hit, his lack of honesty was, was kind of a running joke across the country, even with those who liked him. Does the truth matter in this election? I think it does. And I, I think it's very important. I think it's very important to hear from... I've been very clear. Aside from issues of trust, I'm also not convinced that Boris Johnson knows what he's doing. Just the other week, on This Morning, he was asked to share his plan for us all going forward. Lucy and I had tuned in at the time. And his plan seemed to be let all our vulnerable people die. Uh, perhaps you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one, in one go and allow the disease, as it were, to, to move through the, the population. And things have just got worse from there. I was, at a, I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands and... Uh... So just breaking news coming into us within the past few seconds. Uh, the Prime Minister has been under the care of uh, doctors in a hospital in London and he is being now admitted into intensive care with those persistent symptoms of coronavirus. I hope you'll understand why I don't draw much hope from Boris Johnson. And yet, despite these huge reservations, I still tune in, like everyone else. I still listen to these rousing speeches full of deference and compliments. But once again, I want to thank you, the people of this country, for the sheer grit and guts you've shown. Along with colourful language and ambitious optimism. If this virus were a physical assailant, an unexpected and invisible mugger, which I can tell you from personal experience it is, then this is the moment when we have begun together to wrestle it to the floor. Speeches that just make me feel nothing. And so it follows that this is the moment of opportunity. To me, they sound more like sales pitches than anything else. There's one thing, though, something he said a few times that has stuck with me. And it is still true that this is the biggest single challenge this country has faced since the war. But. Hearing him say that doesn't bring me hope. 
it just makes me feel guilty, really. My great-grandfather fought in the Second World War. He had to contend with bullets and razor wire, tanks. He saw his friends killed in front of him. And me? I sit here and watch TV, play computer games, order takeaways, while the world burns. I feel like I've lost connection with the network of friends and artists I used to spend my days with. I've lost the energy and strength and inspiration they used to give me. That's one of the reasons I wanted to restart this podcast so I could reach out and find out how others were getting through this. Talking to Michael Payne last episode gave me a bit of that old buzz again. However, continuing this podcast is proving more difficult than I thought because I haven't got any MCs who want to talk right now. Nobody wants to schedule an interview until all of this has died down. I've sent so many emails, dozens and dozens of messages. I even managed to line up one interview last week, but that artist ended up cancelling at the last minute. Their agent said that now just isn't the right time, which I can understand. But it's added to me feeling pretty hopeless. What am I going to do with this new season? Is that it? Are we done? Just sack the series off before it's even started? Do I just give up? I was telling Lucy about this one evening in our living room when she asked me, what if you tried using Cameo? Now, I hadn't heard of Cameo at this point. I don't know if you have. It's an online platform, basically an app that helps connect fans with artists, athletes, celebrities, people who found fame for a number of reasons. Cameo lets fans request messages from these celebrities. Birthday greetings, anniversary shout-outs, pep talks, roasts. That connection is only a credit card away. If you've got the money, you can get Draco Malfoy to sing you a song. I'd like to wish you a happy birthday. Twenty-two's my magic number, number in the worst way. You can get Dean Kane, actual Superman Dean Kane, to tell you that in fact you were the real Superman all along. Reese, what's going on, man? It's Dean Kane. I just want to say, look, you're class of twenty-two, right? You're an honor society student with a four-point-two GPA. Go and achieve, and don't listen to the haters. Aunt Shelley, she's got your back. So do I, buddy. Go get him. There's some crazy weird stuff on there. And there are MCs too. Hundreds of them. Just scrolling through the app, it was like discovering a hip-hop Toys R Us. So many names to choose from. Snoop Dogg, The Game, Flavor Flav, Ice Tea, Ice Cube, even one of my greatest rap heroes had been on there at one point. Ghostface Killer, K-1000, 
killer bees on the swarm. He wasn't on there now, but could you imagine it? The app feels a little weird too, I, I must admit. Perhaps it's because it's so new or because of the types of messages these celebrities are recording. Some seem kind of banal, kind of tacky in a way. Some celebrities do seem to be phoning in their responses too. But the app is kind of fascinating. It's a new way that MCs, some big names are hustling, building connections, making bank amidst the chaos. Perhaps it is worth exploring for an episode. What if I tried to get one or two artists to respond, to help me lift my spirits? Could I somehow gain hope, actual hope, during the most hopeless of times from Cameo? And as I'm thinking this, whilst scrolling, I then see a name I can't believe. Charlie Tuna. No way. The Charlie Tuna from Jurassic 5. Now I'm gonna say this one time, boy, and that's my word. We rock the shot to knock fire through the Hindenburg. The contribution is clear. You add water to bone and get the Jurassic vibe on the microphone. Now if you like the tone and how the harmony's done and the sucker MCs die before they begun. Well, I like to know if I got the notion because we're number one. I'd literally been listening to Jurassic 5 that morning. I listened to Jurassic 5 all the way through university. I saw them live once. I've got all of Charlie Tuna's releases since then. He's incredible, both as a writer, a vocalist, and a visual artist too. And this app that I've just discovered says that I can connect with him for $65. That's, that's like 40 quid. Why not then, I thought, an experiment. I'll see what happens, see whether I can draw any hope from this app at all. Hey Charlie, I'm a huge fan. Now, you've got a limited word count when making a cameo request. That's probably a good thing. It forces you to get to the point. For me, I just didn't want to take the piss, really. I needed to be up front and let him know that this was for a podcast. But otherwise, I think I just needed a clear question. So I wrote, I'm making a podcast about rap, hoping to get rap into schools down the line. Followed your work for years, and, and I have a question. Could you help? Underneath it, I wrote the question. Just five words. What has rap taught you? Over the next few days, I continued life locked in my living room. It might sound a little weird, but as isolated as I was, knowing that my cameo request had gone off, that it was out in the ether somewhere, 
it lifted my spirits. I found myself just feeling more positive as I went about my day. I mean, chances are he wouldn't get back, right? But it felt good to have something to look forward to for a change. And then, the following Thursday, I was tidying the living room when... No. Fucking. Way. Peace, Mark. This is Charlie Tuna live and direct. I'm here at the fish tank in my studio. I was nervous to even watch the video at first. I had to get Lucy to hold my hand as we watched it together. Man, first and foremost, man, big up to you for having a podcast that is directed towards this subject. Here was Charlie. In his studio, bright yellow wall behind him, he was beaming into the camera. Big up, man. That's, that's amazing. Big up to you for trying to, to, to push the rap, um, you know, the rap car into the curriculums of schools out there. I, I really appreciate that. Now, to answer your question, what has rap taught me? Um, rap has taught me the power of the word. Words are strong. Words make way in the world in an instant. Words uh, can provide opportunity. Words can be weapons of mass destruction. Words can be me weapons of mass deception. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of things that words can be. And I figured out that, you know, being a person who grew up in the inner cities and wasn't about the gangs, it wasn't about the guns and the drugs and this and the third, that the weapon that I had was my art. And my art consisted of not only visual art, but the word, you know what I'm saying? So rap has definitely taught me that. Rap has taught me indirectly about my black history in America as well, and about my black history in the world, my place in the world. Big up to people like Chuck D, big up to people like Rakim, big up to people like Big Daddy Kane, big up to people like Melly Mel with songs like The Message and stuff like that. Um, these songs have played uh, really, really, really large parts in my learning about myself. So rap has taught me about me. Yeah, respect. For days afterwards, Charlie's words went round in my head. He didn't need to say all of that. The message felt sincere and meaningful, honest too. It made me feel less alone. I think Charlie Tuna was one of the first people, besides Lucy and close family, that I'd spoken to in weeks, and we hadn't even really spoken. Over the following days, I played that video back to myself a few times, and I thought about what Charlie said, how he had all these negative forces around him growing up, but that he chose words as his weapon to fight back against the environment and the inequality he was born into. How rap had informed his perspective, helped him learn about the world and about himself. There was a lot to be hopeful for within that message. It made Boris Johnson's messages of hope sound more and more like some kind of circus sideshow act. I hoped that Charlie felt as good recording that message as I felt good hearing it. After all, that feeling of connection must 
run both ways, right? And this got me thinking about my own work, specifically the relationship that I have with my audience. I can be pretty crap at communicating with people that follow my work. I'm terrible on social media and I just don't make the most of those connections. I thought about the times that I've ignored a hundred positive comments and focused instead on the one negative one. Yeah, I don't tell them how important they are to me. I miss them like crazy right now. I started to wonder, do other MCs think about their audience like this? Do they build emotional connections with them? And how does that influence their work? What if I ask someone on Cameo about that? In our last episode, Michael Payne talked about Lupe Fiasco, how he was his greatest influence growing up. Well, did Lupe also think about Michael? Did he think about his audience when he wrote things? Did that connection mean as much to Lupe as it did to Michael? It couldn't hurt to ask, right? Hey, what up, Marcus? Uh, Lupe Fiasco here uh, to answer your question. Um, it's a little bit of a 50-50. There's cases where I think 100% about the audience. Um, there's cases where I think 50% about the audience. It may seem cliche, but it's true. You know, it's very rare that I'm just constantly creating for myself in a silo, in isolation. That's interesting. That silo of isolation situation is, is literally what's taking place right now for myself and so many others. Is that part of why I feel so bad right now? As Lupe continues, it's clear his connection with the audience is carefully thought through. If I'm trying to be super experimental, then I kind of, I, it's not that I don't think about an audience, I think about a specific audience that would respond to something that's super experimental. If it's something that's supposed to be super commercial or I'm trying to appeal to a wider audience with more general things, then I'll think about that type of audience, right? Um, and then sometimes you mix those different types of audiences, right? Like you'll mix, like you want to challenge a mainstream audience with something that's a little bit more experimental, or you want to challenge an experimental audience with something that's a little bit more mainstream. So you can kind of play with it. Um, more, most of the time, I'm either catering to a very specific kind of connoisseur level audience, or I'm catering to more of a commercial audience. So I hope that uh, answers your, your question. So there you go. Appreciate you. Good luck um, with, the, uh, with the rapping. And thanks for being a fan. And uh, good luck uh, as a teacher. And uh, good luck with the podcast. And I'll see you on the next one. All right, Lupe Fiasco. Peace. What really struck me about Lupe's response is just how honest and unguarded it is. Lupe's response doesn't feel like the kind of soundbite you'd give in a magazine interview. And I like that. It's clear from this that Lupe thinks about his audience a lot, to the point that it's like some kind of mathematical formula or cartography. He's mapped his audience, and song by song, he moves around that map. You can only do that, though, by meeting people 
knowing people. You, you can't do that by locking yourself away from the world, just existing in a silo of isolation, which is a problem, right? Because that's what we're all stuck doing right now. But surely there must be other MCs who do untether themselves from their audience. Like punchline MCs who spit 32 bars of fire, insisting they're the best thing in the world. Some of my favorite MCs, they brag about being beyond human, better than everyone, higher status than you can even imagine. Surely these MCs have to ignore their audience, block out that reality in order to create, right? I decided to put that to rap legend R.A. The Rugged Man, an MC I've admired since I was a kid. R.A. is known for huge claims in his tracks, outrageous brags at times, and he often talks in interviews about having a huge ego, so he can't be thinking about his audience when he writes. Can he? Seven days later, I found out that, you know what? He thinks about his audience a lot. I can hear R.A. thinking about his audience, even as he frames his cameo response. Hey, yo, this is the one and only R.A., the rugged man, chilling with my boy Mark Grist, uh, smashing it, man. And uh, my man's a UK MC and an English teacher, and he's deep diving into podcast world. And uh, he wants to ask me a question saying, how much do I think about the audience when I'm writing? You know, uh, should they factor in? And yes, of course. In fact, when I when I write songs, when I make songs, a lot of times I will think about crowd response and crowd participation. And okay, this is gonna be one of the songs where we get them fighting and punching and this and that. Or this is the song when we do it live. They're gonna be singing along every song word, and they're gonna be crying and emotional. And so a lot of the stuff I write. I, I think about live performances. That's why when this COVID stuff happened, you know, it was like, damn, I just made half my last album catered to doing a live show off of it. And then of course, like if you're writing a rhyme, you think like, all right, is this gonna help motivate somebody to feel something better about themselves? Or is it too corny, you know? Or, or is this gonna, you know, really, uh, smack the sensor boards in the face and, you know, people who want to, you know, shut you down, or is it just reaching, you know? So you always think about stuff like that and, you know, you go with what feels right, you know? You go, fuck them all, this feels right to me, I'm doing it, you know? Like, in the end of it all. But the, the, the audience uh, response and what the audience will feel is always in my mind, uh, you know, in the beginning of the songwriting process. It always will be there. I really like this next line of his response. I just want to let it hang there a moment. And it's important because uh, you don't want to say things that don't work, you know, and, and they have to feel right. That's so interesting to me. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's question answered. And uh, good luck with your podcast, Mark Grist. And uh, shout out to the UK, all the UK MCs out there, slash English teachers. 
You're like the UK version of uh, my man uh, J Live, the school teacher, rapping school teacher, DJ, boom, boom. All right, much love. I really appreciated RA's answer. What a great choice of words, too. As an MC, you need your audience because your lyrics need to work. What you write doesn't work unless the audience are there with you. It's broken. You have nothing. I think this might be why Boris Johnson doesn't inspire me, among other things. This is why I don't connect with what he's saying. Boris Johnson acts as though we're higher status than him. He pretends that we, the great British public, are above him somehow. He compliments us and fawns over us in his addresses, makes out that he's our humble servant. But as R.A. puts it, to me, it's corny. It's reaching. The words don't work. And if you lose your audience, you've got nothing. You might as well not be up there in the first place. The more I dwell on this, though, the more I feel like I'm totally fucked. I've got no live shows anymore, so that audience is nobody. I just can't picture them, my audience. I don't know who I'm writing for. They're not even really one person anyway, but a bunch of people that come and go, that change, and that have just left. If anything, they feel like some kind of shape-shifting alien that I just don't understand. There seems like no way to fix this loss that I'm feeling. It's broken. Done. But then... Next morning, I wake up, and Cameo has let me know that... Ghostface Killer is back online. And he's taking requests. I can't believe it. He's one of my all-time idols. I have so many things that I'd love to ask him, but asking a question, that isn't what I need right now. What I need is hope. So I send one last cameo. I, I promise, Lucy, this will be my last. I'd been going on about the platform a lot by this point. And this time, I didn't frame my request as a question. I just blurted out how alone and empty and lost I felt. I said that I looked up to Ghostface, trusted his honesty, and I asked him what he'd recommend I do. The request was kind of a mess, if I'm honest, all over the place. I was pretty sure he wouldn't get back. But then, less than four hours later, just four hours, he did.
I didn't even know that you could get a response that quickly. I'm going to play it now. Ghostface's response to me. He gets my name wrong, which is kind of funny. But see what you think. Yo, one, two, one, two, one, two. Testing one, two. What's good? Just the great Ghost Dini right here. Straight from Wu-Tang Clans. You know what I mean? Only. Killer bees on a swarm. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Cash rules everything around me. Cream get the money. Thousand dollar bills, y'all. I want to shout out my man Mark Grice real quick from the UK. You know what I mean? I heard you an MC, a teacher in the UK. And, and, and yo, this right here is for your podcast. Yo, I heard you been going through some things. I heard y'all on lockdown out there, man. Heard you miss your audience. Heard your audience miss you, bro. You know what I mean? But, yo, the times we're in right now, yo, you got to use this as a stepping stone. You know what I mean? I was panicking at first because I didn't know what was going on. You know what I mean? You say you're an MC and you write rhymes and times is tough right now. You just got to have your faith in God, yo. You got to pray. You got to have your faith. You know what I mean? This is when God sends the test on you to see who's going to fold. Are you going to fold or are you going to keep it going? And then talk about you not folding when you come up out this dump. You know what I mean? I think that's the best choice right there. You know what I mean? As far as like you don't know what to write about and times is rough, it's like, yo, these are the times to write about. Because when you come out, all these are going to be your memories right now. So if you're feeling down and feeling messed up and wondering what's going on with the world and that and you locked in the house, these are things that you could just write down and make lyrics out of them. You know what I mean? Like you could write a whole album about called the pandemic. Just call it like that. You know what I mean? So that's what you need to do. It's, it's like you got to take this and use it. Whatever you're going through now, even if it's problems with your girlfriend or your family because of this pandemic thing, because we're stuck in the house too much, yo, all this got to come out in your music. You know what I mean? And, 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 and see how it happens, how it feels after we kind of like lighten up and come up out of this right here and you got this nice body of work on what you went through. It's like writing a book. You know what I mean? And this is what you went through. Your life. You understand what I'm saying? Write about how your life was before this, and then in the mix of it, and then now after it. We write all that into music. So y'all just want to give you that right there. Don't, don't get discouraged, brother. All right? Love is love. Ghostface, we out. Wow. By the time he signed out, I realized I was leaning forward in my seat. My heart was in my chest. It felt like I'd just heard from an MC, a counsellor to a drill sergeant, a teacher, a sensei, and even a spiritual leader who had a couple of spare minutes to kick my ass. And he got my name wrong too. But maybe my name doesn't matter. Maybe my identity doesn't. I'm Ghostface's audience, and that's all he needs. He's reaching out to his audience, his audience that's scared and confused, and he's doing everything he can to help. And man, feeling his belief, just listening to him, I felt hope. I felt weirdly almost lucky 
to be living during this time. It's important to be here right now, to be writing about this weird moment in time. This is life. It's worth sharing the good bits and the bad bits too. Sure, I, I can fold. I think I was starting to fold. Or I can use this time and I can write something. I think that's the best choice right here. Not a book, perhaps, although, I don't know, maybe I'll do that too. But right now, this podcast, this will be my body of work. I'm going to document the pandemic. I'm going to keep writing about what's going on. I'll use that as a reason to keep connecting with people however I can. And for now, why not start by connecting with my audience, or, tr or trying to, at least. So I found a beat, one that I liked by Jay Diller, and spent a few hours trying to talk directly to my audience. This is what I came up with. We first met back in 86, infant school, paraded into you. A bunch of strangers on plastic chairs, us little dancing bears were too afraid then to sing in tune. Once we finished, we gasped. There seemed no limit to your spirit as you clapped and cared. A new beginning, hold my lyrics, took each chance to share all I'd written. You're my witness, you're my gas and air. Not every other kid craved the same, but I loved it, how I hungered on that taste of fame. You're like an alien invader, how your face is changed, but that passion and connection still stays the same. I learned a craft, had to work, grapple words till the words match just to lure you over for a second to my birdbath. Sometimes I panic, you'll fly off in the third act and part of me would cage you, but there's no true words for that. Went from sold out to broke down. Now I'm sat here with my crumbs, just a jester in a dressing gown. You're out of sight, I'm chilling with my home crowd. It's pretty quiet and I guess we'll stay alone for now. I'll keep on making do, I'll stay in shape with tunes that keep me sane. I'm still craving you, but taking time apart to refine my art and remind the heart just what you mean when we escape these rooms so yeah what do you think just writing that finishing it, it it felt good I've decided I'm not going to release this podcast until we're out of the worst of it not until the point where I can go out and be with friends and family again when gigs have started to come back when touring feels like a possibility right now as I record these words I'm alone the only audience I have to share all this stuff with is my dog and Lucy. But that's okay, because they're great. And also because I know that down the line, there's gonna be other people ready to listen. I know that you exist, or that you will exist. So I'm writing this for you. And look, I know this might feel like a lot to put on an audience, but thinking of you helps me remember that things will be better again. And that gives me hope. Way more than Boris fucking Johnson. Next time on Mark Can't Rap. In Hold Tight, 
Jeffrey explores over 50 key tracks that make up Grimes' DNA. Looks like he knows the lyrics. Nailed it. Brilliant. Nailed it. When you're looking at hip hop, you're looking at human creativity, like, at its, at its core. Try to find out what is actually happening and are you okay with it? Jeez. What if I was the Piers Morgan? This episode of Mark Can't Rap was written by me, Mark Grist. It featured original audio content from Charlie Tuna, Lupe Fiasco, R.A. the Rugged Man, and Ghostface Killer. Script editing by Ross Sutherland, and audio editing and production by Juxta. This podcast was supported using public funding from Arts Council England. Thanks for listening.